Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Carrier's Edge podcast. I'm Mark Morell, co-founder of Carrier's Edge, and I am joined today with... Jane Jazrawi, co-founder of Carrier's Edge as well. Or I'm joined today by... It doesn't matter. I'm not joined with. We're not like conjoined twins. Well, we kind twins. of are. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> we are attached. That is kind of how it goes. Though. Sort of. When we're not with each other, it's weird. Yes. I mean, it's not... I mean, I can handle myself without you, but it is weird to not have you sort of within grasp. Yeah, you were gone all day yesterday know, at a photo shoot. What did you shoot. do? It was weird. I had the house to myself. I don't get that very often. Or I haven't in the past couple of years had that happen very often. So it was kind of odd. Uh, so, I didn't really think about you at all because I was busy. That's what happens when you're the one traveling. Yeah. Yes, you're not really thinking about it. Uh, but uh, the, the one that's left. The one that's yeah, at home alone. Yeah. I was by the door sort of going <laughs> for an hour after you left. All yes. right. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, I've got a few things uh, on the agenda that we can go through. And as I was prepping for this, the first thing that struck me is that when we did this recording last time, we were just about to go to Truck World. That's so right. we can talk a little bit about that. Oh, and man, that was like, what, six months ago? Yeah, yes. Three weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, and it was an excellent experience. Uh, it was so nice to have an actual show happening again. So it's been four years since Truck World because it only runs every two years. Uh, and the last one was canceled, of course. And even though it was a smaller audience, much smaller attendance than they normally have, they had about uh, a little under 11,000 people over the three days, which to me seems about 50% less. No, they normally have about 50% more. So they would have 16 to 18,000 people normally. And it did not feel empty. Now, I'm sure a good part of that is that in the past two years, it's been so infrequent that we've been around any crowds that any group of people feels like a huge crowd. You just get conditioned to emptiness and everybody being far apart. So even the smaller crowd felt like it was packed. I actually did notice a difference. The Thursday was actually really busy, Yeah, which was weird because normally that's sort of the slower day and you, which is fine for us. We're happy with that. But then Friday and Saturday, well, Saturday is crazy and Friday is usually busier. So it kind of, you know, starts off slow and then builds. But this time it was pretty busy on Thursday and then it was less busy on Friday and Saturday kind of went up a little bit, but not. Yeah, Friday was the Friday lighter was really of the, the three slow. days. Yeah, which uh, honestly for us, it didn't really matter. We weren't trying to get to as many people as possible. We were trying to reconnect with the people we already know. So anyone who's new that we meet is a bonus. Mm -hmm. And we had some bonuses because yeah. it was a different group of people there. There was very few insurers there. Yes. And a lot of people that didn't show up at all. I was kind of surprised by uh, people that I was expecting to see who didn't uh, come out. And even after, after it's finished, there's been a few people that I, I've sort of come across their name on LinkedIn or something and I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't see you at Truck World where I was expecting to. So uh, it was for us an excellent show. We did reconnect with uh, a bunch of partners that we haven't seen in person, people that we've only and seen customers. over Zoom, bunch of customers, uh, some 
not just administrators at uh, customers, but some of the drivers as well, which yeah. for me is becoming my favorite part of that show is talking to the drivers that work for these customer fleets. You get such great feedback and you get some really good insights on their experience using the product and their experience on the road and what they like about it, what they like to see changed. And I just love the fact that drivers will come up to us and have that discussion about how we can improve it. Like they're not coming and saying, oh, your product sucks or I I hate this. They're coming up and saying, well, I like this, but it would be good if we could do this as well. Mm -hmm. And that gives us some fantastic feedback. Yeah, I think it's the only place where we get we get a considerable amount of driver feedback. Mm -hmm. You know, usually, you know, most shows that we do, especially in the States, we're not seeing we're a little bit, but not anywhere near as well, much as truck shows. You have to go to those driver focused shows. And we did get that at GATS a little bit. And we definitely got it at Mid America when we were there in 2019. I know, that was just like forever ago. So, yeah. you know, ever since then, it has been really mostly management shows. Yeah. And that's what I've been thinking since then is where are there other kind of driver, driver shows, shows that we could go to? And there's Mid America. But it's in March, so it's around the same time. It would be great if there was one in the fall. Like Now that Gats is dead, it's really unfortunate that there's getting to be no driver shows in the U.S. So we might have to start doing these driver championship things uh, because then you at least have a bunch of drivers around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not like we wouldn't have customers there. For sure. Yeah, so I'm going to be looking into that. But I really, really enjoyed it. And a high point, I think, for both of us was having our staff there, the amount yeah. of staff that we brought in. Yeah. So what did we have, like 12 or 14 people that uh, showed up over the course of the three days? Mm-hmm. I think so. I didn't actually count, but um, yeah, that seems about right. So we had, um, I think, all of our marketing staff. Yeah, all of the marketing team came uh, some there. Of the, some of the content team, so about two-thirds of the content team came. Yeah, about and half of uh, port. Right. And, and Divya came. Yeah. From so platform we had some, as well. yeah, we had representation from platform. Yeah. So I did, you know, we took tons and tons of pictures, but we did not post them on Facebook or like LinkedIn or anything like that. Cause I didn't think that, does anybody else care about well, how much we were happy to see our own staff? Yeah. We did that for internal use for internal yeah. purposes. Yeah. It, it worked quite well. And for the staff that was there, it was a great way. Uh, We were hoping that they would get a sense of the industry, learn some things, get to see the people, and just get to sort of live in the world of the trucking industry for Mm -hmm. a few days. Because when you come from outside of the industry, that's really valuable, really valuable experience to have. And they very much did. They very much learned the language, got to see the people, got to see how vendors talk about things, look at Trucks, touch trucks, all of that stuff. Well, and I just remembered I had completely forgotten about this because it was like, okay, that's done. So what's on the next thing is that I did a scavenger hunt. I did kind of a truck world scavenger hunt that went over really well. And I kind of gave the idea to other people who are teaching new people in the industry that, you know, what it's all about. So they were they're like, oh, can I have a copy of that? Because I, I had this list of all of the things that you had to do at Truck World. And I was thinking mostly of the content team. So what kind of things were on the list? Uh, the first one was go sit in a truck. Mm. Like go find a truck and get in it. 
because I know that if I hadn't told them to do it, a lot of them, well, some of them would have done it, but a lot of them would just would have looked. Yeah. And once you do it once, then you feel that freedom of, okay, I'm going to go and basically touch everything and do everything. And um, Tiffany and Chrissy <laughs> had, really had a good time doing pretty much just that. They pretty they just went off and did every single game that anybody was doing and went and asked questions and had a great time. So that was really, really good. But other people um, got into a truck. Uh, the other, what else did I have? Um, go and find, I wanted them to go and find different things, like different vendors. And I can't remember which vendors. I know you had one thing on there to go find a Best Fleets logo. Right, right. Because right. I wanted to see if she, it, well, first of all, I wanted to see who, you know, who had them up. I knew that there would at least be one and, mm. and that one was Challenger. So Challenger had a great booth where they had, um, they had their truck that they always have. And then they had some videos and things around it. And one of the videos actually had the logo in the video, but they also had uh, like decals there and stickers and things like that. So that was really good. Um, and got to see, they got to meet Jeff Topping, who um, works with Challenger, does a lot of the work with Best Fleets. And I think Steve Newton as well, the the safety director. And then, so it was good for the the content team specifically to meet people who are, who are also helping us develop our courses or subject matter experts for us. Um, I also wanted them to go and see the trafficking booths. There were two trafficking trailers, one for Truckers Against Trafficking, and the other one was... Um, Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Um, the Ontario... No Human Trafficking. No Human Trafficking. Yes, that's what it's called. So they had a booth as well. Well, they didn't have... A, they both had trailers. So there was, you know, these big trailers, which is great for the message. Um, what else did I... Oh, I think I got the... I was think I was getting them to do the simulations. Yep. So they all had to do the... They had to... Well, what I was thinking before was go and do a driver simulation so you can actually experience driving a truck. But at the, at truck world, they had, and I can't, IMVR, is that it? The yeah. name of the company? And they have the virtual reality goggle things. And so they were there right next to a driver simulator from Knowledge Surge, which is also known as DriveWise. So if you, uh, DriveWise in the States is the, uh, Oh, I can't remember. They're like the... Scale bypass. Yeah, that's what that is. But in Canada, Knowledge Surge slash DriveWise, they do education and they have a simulator as well. So those two groups got together and decided to have kind of a combined booth. And I basically was like, go over there and do that. Because, you know, the experience of, even if you're doing it with a simulator, the experience of actually trying to operate something is is much different than just looking at it. So uh, apparently a lot of things were hit. <laughs> a lot of people died. A lot of crashes. <laughs> and they had a lot of fun. And it was also really, really good to actually see each other. Mm -hmm. You know, we met, there was a lot of people that we were meeting for the first time. Yeah. I yeah, think. that was one of the highlights for us is like meeting our staff for the first time that we haven't seen in person since we hired them. And we paired them off to go and do the scavenger hunt together. So they weren't individually mm -hmm. doing things. So we gave them a chance to work with people they haven't normally worked with and get out in person and do things. And that was really nice. 
And what I did with the content team, so um, I didn't, like some of the content team were there the whole time. Some of them only were there for one day. But when we were all, we were all supposed to meet um, Friday at two and, and kind of hang out. And I had no plans for what I was going to do with them. Friday, like we said, was kind of a quieter day. So I, we were talking and um, my newest, the newest team member, Rick, I was talking, I don't know why I keep talking about this, but I was talking about moving axles to move weight and Mm. that how, you know, you had drivers had to know how to shift the axles on their trailer. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was, oh, and I was like, oh, wait a minute, there's trailers here. I can show you. So we had a little field trip to go and look at some trailers and I was telling them about each of the parts and what they did and um, and how they move. So everybody was getting underneath the trailers to go and look at the axles and the airbags for the brakes as well. And that was really fun. Everybody really got into it. You know, the climbing under the trailer, there's nothing like it. Yeah. And if you can do it at Truck World in a nice air-conditioned environment versus doing it on asphalt. Yeah. Much, much better. So we, we did that. So there you go. Uh, truck show as training experience. Hey, it is an amazing training experience. If you have staff that you want to get like up to speed really, really quickly on a bunch of different elements of the trucking industry, go do that show. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's local to you and it's like it's free, it's a great place to do it. It's this is way better than me going and, you know, trying to arrange a visit to one of our customer sites or something like that, because you don't see like 50 different types of trucks. Mm -hmm. You don't see a sleeper and then a day cab and then a tanker. And then, you know, well, there weren't any auto haulers there, but there's just all this different equipment and like even truck washes. People outside the industry don't know what a yeah. truck wash looks like. They're looking like. at those booths with the people selling the brushes and they're like, what is that thing? It's, yeah. like, oh, it's a part of a truck wash. It's very fancy, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a wash. Yeah. So they learn about things that they never even knew existed. Yeah. And then when you go on, you know, when you go to a photo shoot or a, onto a customer site for whatever reason, then you're familiar with it. You're familiar with what it looks like and, and how, you know, like something as basic as just getting in the cab. Yeah. Why is this three points of contact so important? And then when you get up there and you realize, oh, I'm about, you know, eight feet off the ground. So maybe that is important because it's not, it's not a, well, maybe not eight. It feels like it. Um, but, you know, this is why you can get hurt mm-hmm. and all the different ways that you can get hurt. I had uh, one of my team members, Carly, who was, who, was getting a picture taken at the side of a tanker climbing a ladder. And I was like, okay, do not, do not go up there. Mm. So that's the last thing I want is, you know, someone falling off a ladder and, yeah. you know, I have an that's injury. That's what the show needs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After four years of being shut down. Yeah. And have somebody fall and break their leg or something. But I mean, I'm surprised that, well, I think that cause it was slow, there was less kind of oversight. I think if, there'd been more people there, there would have been more of, you know, be careful and get down from there and, you know, hey, you shouldn't climb up to the top because that's a little bit unsafe. Well, but it was fun. Yes, it was an excellent show. It was a good time. What struck me as well is that I have not had that much loud talking in a long time. (laughs) 
you do a particular kind of loud talking or a particular type of voice when you're doing a webinar or when we're recording this, we have sort of our performance voice. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot different than when you're at a show and you have to be shouting to people all the time so that they can hear you. Yeah. Uh, three days of that. Oh, and it was very dry in there. So by about one o'clock, one thirty every day, my throat was very sore. My throat was sore for a couple of days after. And then it was like, is this COVID? Or yeah. is my throat just sore from overuse? Yeah. So. Because we haven't had COVID yet. I have no idea what it actually feels like. Well, we haven't had a positive test yet. I don't think we've had it. No, I don't think so either. So Very all weird. of these other people have had it and they've had sore throats, but it seems like it's like way worse. And then other people say, well, it's just like a cold, but okay. Yeah. So. Who knows? I don't know. I think we've managed to escape it thus far. Bizarrely. Yeah, not our family. We had one kid got it. Yeah. That wasn't our fault, though. No, we were not. And no one has gotten it as a result of Truck World, which is nice. Yes. So we're very happy about that. Yeah. So there we go. Item number one, Truck World. Mm-hmm. Item number two? Well, what else have we been working on? Uh, let's talk for a little bit about something that uh, we're going to have to be reviewing later today, our management book club. Oh, our management book club. Yeah, so we started a management book club, which I think originally was an idea from a best fleet. Yes, Grand Island Express. No, Interstate Distributor did that. Uh, the salt really? companies had that. No, Grand Island Express was doing it before, I really? think. Well, okay, there's maybe a couple. It was, oh, it was Interstate no. that stuck with me the first time. I think that they were the first ones to do it. Yeah, I'm just getting mixed up, but you're right. You're right, Interstate, yeah. Interstate Distributor. So we started doing one as well. And the first Mm -hmm. book that we have uh, is Creativity, Inc. Very fantastic book uh, written by Ed Catmull, who nobody, I think, on listening to this podcast is familiar with. Although you know who he is without knowing who he is. Right. He's done a lot of things that have made your life better. Yes. The founder and still president of Pixar. Uh, So this is his combination of management handbook and biography. And it's a weird book because you don't normally get those two together. When I first bought it, I thought it was going to be a biography. And I bought the book after we saw him speak at a conference a couple of years ago. And I thought he was a fantastic speaker. So I went and bought his book and I thought, oh, this is going to be fantastic. Because I've read like two, I think I had already read two different histories of uh, Pixar, biographies of the founding and, and all of their story. And I thought this will be great to have it from an insider, like the guy who was there the whole time. And when I was going through it and realizing that half of it is really about management best practices and the things that he's learned, at first I was like, oh, this is kind of a drag. Just tell me about all the movies. Tell me how you built the company and all of the software and all of that stuff. But then afterwards, all of these things sort of stuck with me. All of these management best practices and the ideas that he has stuck with me. And I found myself using them all the time and referencing them. And I was like, oh, okay, this thing actually is very useful. And all of those stories become a really good way to illustrate what he's talking about. Yeah, because he doesn't do the normal talk about all of the um, great events, great events, you know, this is what we achieved, and then we achieved this, and then we achieved this. He talks about, um, so he goes by movie. He does actually do a bit of a history. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he talks about the first one, he talks about Toy Story and how that came to be, and then he talks about A Bug's Life. But what he does is he kind of does a bit of a postmortem on them, 
And he talks about doing postmortems on projects, which is a really good idea that I don't do enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is a good idea when you get into the habit of it. But yeah, he talks about all of those things, not so much in the look how great it was, but here are all the things that went wrong that we learned yeah. from. And some of them are like horrifying when you hear the stories and the things that they had to endure. The just was rereading it and rereading the uh, part where they lost almost all of the files for Toy Story 2. Right. And they just got lucky that somebody had a copy on a home computer. Otherwise, they had like two years of work lost. They would have probably have folded up shop yeah, that'd be at the end Toy of the Story 2. And like the number of times that Steve Jobs tried to sell them. Yeah. Which is, I think it was just dumb luck that they didn't. They and nobody had, wanted to buy it. Yeah. Right? And everybody didn't think, no one thought that there was, you know, much of a future in it. Including Industrial Light and Magic, who actually, didn't they own, it? wasn't it a yeah, spinoff of? Uh, it was part of Lucasfilm. Right. But George Lucas had to sell them because he needed money for his divorce. <laughs> but he, but Ed Catmull himself um, in, invented a whole bunch of things that make 3D animation and, and graphics, like digital graphics, a thing. That whole idea of um, tweening and motion array and, and making, a, like putting a... So when you do 3D graphics, you make the model, which is the shape, and then you put something on it to make it look real. So you might have a checker pattern on a shirt, or you may have a checker pattern on a jug or something like that. And he was working on how you make that look realistic and not just kind of fake. Yeah, not like something painted on it, but yeah. actually to have not just the shapes and colors, but the textures that go with it. Oh, that's right. Texture mapping, yeah. which is like a whole thing in 3D animation. Yeah. And that's, uh, so I was quite, and, and the way he writes about it, it is like, oh yeah, and I did this. And mm -hmm. you're like, wait, you changed everything. Yeah. <laughs> I like all the things are different now because of what you did and you're not even, he doesn't even really take credit for it. He just no. kind of says it. And then he talks about his passion for for management and how he was, you know, learning to be a manager and how hard it is. And, and it seems to be that that is his passion rather than, you know, inventing cool things. And then changing the world. Yeah. I don't think he really considers himself as changing the world. I think he looks at Pixar as changing the way that animation is done. And he wants to continue being a great animation company. Like, and he wants, so there's a lot of, Parts where he's talking about how he was so worried about them sitting on their laurels and how are they going to be great again? Like, how are they, you know, they've done all these great movies. So how are they going to be great again? How is that going to happen? Yeah. And how do I make that happen? Because he's not an animator, but he's just enabling all of these animators to do great work. And as you get bigger and bigger and you lose sight of what everybody is doing, that becomes harder. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But one of the things that always strikes me as I kind of reread his early history, and he talks about um, his youth at the University of Utah in this one particular period. And it fascinates me because it's one of those examples where there's a bunch of people that are sort of congregated at one place, uh, in one place at one point in time that end up going on to so many other things. 
And that particular cohort of people at the University of Utah not only included, he was there, but had Ivan Sutherland, who was the original pioneer of computer graphics. Then it also had Jim Clark, who founded Silicon Graphics Company and Netscape, and John Warnock, who went on to found Adobe. So Pixar, Adobe, Netscape, Silicon Graphics, that is computer technology, computer animation, computer graphics really coming out of that one core of people. And I think about my graduating class at university, (laughs) nobody in that list has changed the world. Well, they were also doing postdoc. But like, still, they weren't doing undergrad. Yeah, and you you didn't do any graduate work. Still. So, yeah, it's still weird. Those things sort of confluence of the right people in the right place at the right time. Just when technology is getting to the point mm-hmm. where they can really um, capitalize on it, and sort of the world is ready for that sort of thing. All of those things come together. Malcolm Gladwell talks about that in his books about people just being in the right place at the right time, uh, and uh, and also being the right age at the right time. And uh, I'm very fascinated every time I come across that sort of thing where where that happens. I think we were, we have that advantage, I mean, not to the extent of the Pixar people, but, or the University of Utah, but we have that because we were definitely in the right place at the right time. And you could either be, there are so many people I know who, like from high school, who did not touch technology until someone gave them an iPhone and they figured, you know, and they realized what they could do with it. But we had been in technology like since the early 90s and we were looking at it going, whoa, this is so cool. And if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for that early experience, I don't think that we would be here. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And back then when you had to kind of do everything, so you did graphics, you did writing, you did coding. You did mm-hmm. hardware, you ran cables for networks. And all if you of that didn't stuff. know how to do it, you weren't waiting for someone to tell you. Because if you were waiting for someone to tell you, you were already behind. Well, there was no one because everybody was figuring it out as they went. No, you could, you could ask for help. But if you had to ask for help, if you had the, like, even if you did, because I think people don't ask for help anymore, like yeah, just in general. Absolutely. And, or they don't pay attention to what they have or the resources that they have. And if you were asking for help and you hadn't already started on it at SoftArk, you were behind. Yeah. And you were definitely behind because there would have been like 12 other people who would have, oh, yeah, I did that a couple of years ago or I did that already. And you'd feel like an idiot. And so you'd be like, OK, I got to pay attention. Yeah. And you were always there was always this feeling of once the company that we worked at together. Uh, was Which called one? SoftArk. Yes. The, the first one. It wasn't, didn't you feel like there was always a feeling like everybody had to be sort of, if you were going to be one of the cool kids, you had to know all the technology. <laughs> and there was definitely, cause we were all very young. I was in my twenties when in the I right started. age at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you were got this sort of, I got to know this. I don't understand what's happening. So I need to learn it. And at that age. Very few people were in much of a serious relationship. They're not married, no kids, so they had time. In the mid-20s, yep. you're going home to your own apartment weeknights and weekends, and so what do you do? You play with your computer. Yep. And we were sort of the first groups of people that had dedicated like internet in the home and high-speed internet. I remember getting high-speed internet in my apartment in 96, and people thought it was like amazing. 
I did not. I just had your regular old crap modem. But what I used to do is stay at work. Yeah. All you stay day. at work. Like I'd stay until three in the morning and work. Thing is with me working is that there's a lot of the time that someone from the outside would look at me and say, well, you're not working right now. Mm. And I did that a lot at SoftArk. I mean, there was a lot of chatting. There was a lot of, you know, well, at the time I was smoking. So there was a lot of smoking. And, you know, it, it seems like that we were just not doing anything productive. But I learned, I, I don't know, my brain was filled 12 times over Well, there. that raises another point that I think kind of comes out of that book. He sort of alludes to it in a few different places. And it's something that I think about a fair bit. And that is, what is work? You know, what does it mean to be working? <laughs> and far too often, people think it's, it's sort of that active work. You know, my hands are moving. I'm looking at a screen. I'm actively doing something. And, and if you're not doing that, then you're not working. But that's not really how brain work goes. No. When I think about it, the people that work for us, it's all... It's all um, technology, all information work. It's all brain work. So I'm renting their brain for 40 hours a week. Yep. And sometimes that is going to be very obvious and very conscious front of mind stuff. And it's going to be very visible what they're doing. But other times it needs to be behind the scenes. It needs to be happening at a subconscious level. I'm still getting the value out of that brain. You know, and it can be happening subconsciously. And I look at it like our system. There are some things that a user will do in our system and we make them wait to see the result. So you click a box and something happens and you do an assignment or you run a report or something like that. It's very obvious. But there are other things that need to be done that we would not do while the user is sitting there waiting. We do them behind the scenes in a batch. And there's a nightly batch. There's about 10 different batches that run through the course of a day uh, in our system, all doing different types of processing. Well, that's all important stuff. And it needs to be done to keep things working and fix things and do other types of work that you would never make the user wait for. But it isn't obvious because you don't see it. It's not in front of you. And there's a lot of mental work that's kind of the same thing. Anything that somebody is doing kind of subconsciously, to me, is like a batch processing. And sometimes you're stuck with a problem, a sticky problem, and you can't solve it with your conscious mind. You have to pass it off to a batch subconsciously and then go off and do something else and let the batch happen. The best one for me is I, I will think of a problem that I want to solve or I want to chew on, and then I work out for an hour. Yeah. And almost, I don't know, it's bizarre how many times I like, I'll solve not maybe not solve the problem, but I'll have an idea. I'm constantly having ideas when I'm trying to work out, which is really weird because I'm not thinking about, I'm not thinking about work. Well, you have to not be consciously thinking about it. It can only be solved subconsciously. So that's why you get that whole in the shower, you have yeah. this brilliant idea. And shower ideas are definitely very, very good. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're trying to say is that even if you're not online and writing messages or writing documents or anything like that, if you're processing certain things or on the weekend, you might be working, but you don't even know it because you've got this unconscious thing going on. So there are certain times that you should stop doing your active job and go off and learn something yeah. or go to a, an event, go to a webinar, go to 
you know, just do something different. Or do something totally different from work. Like you're talking about working out. I mean, is that work when you're working out? Because you're having ideas, (laughs) right? You're thinking of things. You're solving work problems. Sometimes for me, I go do yard work. Or, Washing the dishes. Oh, vacuuming for yeah, you. Yeah. Oh my God, you vacuuming drive me nuts. Vacuuming and dishes and, or go for a swim or something. Now it's that time of year when the pool's open again. So I'll go and do something like that that's very different. You know, sometimes I go and sit at the bottom of the pool and look up at the sky. And You're it, weird. It gives me ideas, <laughs> but it forces you out of your comfort zone and it forces you to do something different. And that is often way more valuable in terms of a long-term solution to a problem than kind of the uh, obvious sitting there tapping out an email or checking a box on something like, oh, I finished this task or that task. Tasks do need to be completed for sure. But a lot of the time those tasks can wait and they aren't the biggest problem that needs to be solved. So that is kind of the challenge of balancing those things, making sure that there is ample time for all of those longer term ideas to come up. When our kids would have problems with math or, I don't know, usually it was math, I would always say, you know, you got to sleep now. Like you can't keep, you can't keep hacking at it. You don't, your brain will figure it out after you sleep or after you eat. Give your brain time to process it. And then it was pretty much, pretty much 100% every time. You leave some time, you sleep, you eat, you do whatever it is that you're going to do. You come back to it. And then all of a sudden the answer is there because your brain is always processing whatever problems you gave it. It's that's what its job is. So it's not unless you absolutely try not to think about it, um, it will keep coming back because your brain is just constantly trying to solve problems and trying to you know, get to an easy path. Like it always wants to go from point A to point B really fast. So how do we, how do we get this in, you know, how do we get this inside and how do we get it to process fast and how do we make it move? And it's really interesting if you can kind of wield your brain that way, it's very useful. Yes, absolutely. So it is a challenge uh, with creative work and definitely working with people that are used to working in crap jobs for crap managers who think (laughs) that they have to have their hands moving all the time. Uh, So it is a bit bit of deprogramming for people sometimes and a a bit of a shift. But once they make that shift and they can get comfortable and you can really tap into the full power of their brain, you can get so much amazing stuff out of people. I think, you know, making connections is the best thing your brain can do when when you're doing something else. Yes. That's what I find is really useful. And you start solving problems you didn't even really knew need, know needed to be solved. Yeah. Or those problems where, like for a long time, I was really unhappy about our silos. Yeah. That was making me crazy. And I sort of chewed on that. I don't know. It was months. I was just like, yeah, we got to, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? I don't like it. I don't like it. And that's what, like in my head, I was just thinking how much I didn't like it. And then um, I think that's where the team leads came out of. Yeah. That and I needed people to do things that I couldn't do. Well, and we're getting to have senior people who are kind of taking on those responsibilities anyway, sort of informally that we're the ones people would ask for help or 
people that were taking responsibility to say, hey, we need to do this, or how are we going to handle this situation? So the team leads uh, really kind of formalized what was starting to shape up anyway, and it gave us that platform to break down the silos. So that's probably like a lot of subconscious processing of that. You know, I don't like this. People are noticing that people are going to certain other people to ask questions. Uh, John Clark and Tiffany and uh, mm-hmm. Courtney. And, you know, so there, are, there were people that we could identify. And then I guess it all just kind of congealed at some point while yeah. I was working out. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Just part of the other reason that you should work out is that you, you know, you make brilliant connections. Yep. Okay. So those are some of the things that we've been up to and some of the grand thoughts that we've been processing. But you've also been very active recently and you did a photo shoot yesterday. I did. And it wasn't a glamour photo shoot. It was, <laughs> well, it was glamorous for the tanker. We went to a customer site, tank, uh, Tandet, not tanker. Tandet does uh, a lot of tank work and pretty much if you can haul it in a tank, they'll, they'll haul it. And um, Dave Herdman, who is the customer, uh, the, the safety, I can't remember his actual. He's the safety guy. He's the safety guy. Dave, the safety guy. Well, they all have different titles at every company, but it's the same thing. Right. I just, I, it's always nice to have everybody's correct title, but I don't have my laptop in front you, of me or anything. You never have their correct titles. So I'm amazed you got the name. Well, I... Re- it's because you were there yesterday. Anyway, anyways. That's not the knowledge that you keep. That's the knowledge no. that I keep. Oh, yes. But anyway, so Dave is an awesome, like Dave did a photo shoot with us. He did our food safety for Tanker course. And he, he'd, he'd basically done the photo shoot. And what's really cool about photo shoots is that you learn a lot as you go. If you ask questions, like, this is the thing, is that you have to take advantage of the opportunity. You can't just take pictures of what you think you need to take pictures of. You ask, ask a lot of questions. And so Dave is used to, to teaching and he will give you, he, he's amazing. He'd give you all kinds of explanations for everything. So we did, um, we're doing a course for injury prevention for tankers, which is basically don't trip over the hose uh, and climb your ladder safely. And so we did that. But we're also going to do a vehicle inspection version for tankers. So I got him to do a a vehicle inspection for me. So that went really well. It uh, it was a beautiful day and um, a little bit too hot for taking pictures of tankers on asphalt. (laughs) <laughs> but I had a couple of my team with me, Berenice, who's the amazing photographer, and Anna, who is one of our content writers who has not been in a truck yet. And so this was her first time. And so she got a lot of, a lot of, when you actually see it in action, a lot of pieces start falling into place and you're like, oh. And so we, uh, we had a good time and we also got fed, which was lovely. <laughs> so that was a very lovely thing of Tanda to do is include us in their barbecue. So that is now the benchmark yeah, for photo shoots. Yeah. We are going to book photo shoots at customer sites. Only if there's a barbecue. Yeah, only when there's a barbecue <laughs> happening. Yeah, we want free food as well. No, that's not true at all. Yeah, we would go, you know, Berenice is great because she'll just like, I think this is probably, I think the third photo shoot that she's done and she's had all kinds of fun times because we we did the last one that she did was pallet jacks was which was in at herb transports 
one of their warehouses that's cooled, like it's refrigerated, so it's freezing. <laughs> it's really hard to take pictures when your hands are not, you know, are not working. And the other one that we did was an auto hauler photo shoot. And that was, we thought it was going to be cold and it wasn't, but it was mm. the height of COVID. So right. it was, it was a little weird that we were all, but we were all outside. So outside it, with masks yeah. on. But it's so much nicer to have someone else take pictures. Before, when I was just doing the pictures, one, the pictures are, they're okay, but they're not great. And um, two, I don't have to try and ask really good questions and check all my pictures off my my shot list and take the pictures all at the same time. That's large pain. So it was really nice to have, you know, a couple of people with me. And I finally got some pictures that I've been trying to get for ages. And one of, so weird, I've never been able to get a picture of someone checking tire pressure with a tire gauge. Wow. (laughs) Because no one has a tire gauge on them and there's never anyone, there's never any in like in the truck. So we usually try and like kind of work around it. Like it's fine. You can talk about checking tire pressure. You don't have to demonstrate it necessarily. But I finally, I just went to Canadian Tire and bought a tire pressure gauge, a truck tire. Like, I don't know when I'm going to use this because it's for trucks. And our car will tell us when our tires are low. So, Hmm. but now I have one. And so people can. Got a prop. Yeah, I have a prop. I had safety vests. I I learned something that not all safety shoes are created equal. Really? If you are working with ladders. So Hmm. if you are working with ladders, you should have a heel, a defined heel. That makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, but none of us, <laughs> like we all had safety shoes, but none of us had actual. Yeah, you have rubber sold, but no heels. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, you know what? That occurs to me now that work boots are like that. Traditional work boot has a heel that is mm-hmm. very handy when you're on a ladder. Yes, and for now, you don't have to have one to climb a ladder, but attend at their safety, um, basically their sort of regulatory internally this is what this is your uniform basically you have to have this and you have to have this like you have to have long pants so i had shorts on so you're not allowed near the tanker you couldn't climb that ladder no but i did not choose to Uh, i have climbed it i hmm. have climbed a ladder to the top of a tanker so i don't didn't really get any pictures up there there's really no reason to so no that's what berenice is for you no 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 she would have she was she would have done it, but we don't, I mean, I've got pictures from up there from the last time, so I'm good. Okay. But yeah, so we did that. We've gotten like a whole bunch of translation is happening. Well, you also did something that is sort of the opposite of that, that sort of hands-on with the equipment. You uh, started a new radio segment this week. Oh yeah. The, the future was yesterday. So what is today then? Uh, future was yesterday. Today's I don't know. That's, after the future, that's very esoteric. I, I, I have no idea. That's it's not my thing. It's Dave Nemo's thing. But we are now a sponsor of uh, the future was yesterday, which is a basically spots about technology and how technology is changing the trucking industry. Hmm. Cool. So we uh, uh, we were invited to participate, and we thought, hey, this is an interesting idea. So. I have I have recorded an ad, which you were supposed to record with me, but you have bowed out since apparently I'm better at it than you. 
Definitely. See, it works when it's two of us here and I can just be the straight person and feed you things and then you go off it from there. But in an ad, you only have 30 seconds. So Yeah, it's hard to And I did I did hear some ads where it is people going back and forth and you know, eh, it, it could Doesn't work. I don't think it would add anything to ours, so people have to listen to 30 seconds of just me, which they have to listen to If they got this in far in the podcast, they've listened to that already. <laughs> So I did that. I did our introductory interview um, yesterday, which was a little unnerving. Wednesday, actually. Oh, oh yeah, because yesterday I was at the photo shoot. It was unnerving. I don't often talk about Carrier's Edge. Edge. <laughs> all the speeches that we do and the presentations. It's all best fleets. Yeah, or just sort of general industry issues or very broadly about training. Yeah, and the thing is about training it and technology is that technology is only, I don't think that training is different because of technology. The actual education part of training is communication of a concept from one person to another. Technology, you can use technology as a tool to do it, but technology isn't making education better or worse or The actual physical act of teaching someone something, you can't make yourself a better educator with technology if you don't try to actually use the technology to enhance. Like, if you're kind of a crappy educator and you use technology, then you're just a crappy educator with technology. I mean, it's just you you just have toys that bore people. (laughs) It's like not... If you want to be engaged, and I think I use the word engaging like really the 12,000 times because it's really what it is. You want to engage a learner. You want a learner to go, hey, I want to listen to you. And you can use technology tools for that. But if the content that you're providing is not good, it's not good with technology and it's not good without. That's a really interesting observation that we probably could have Yeah, fill the whole podcast around that because you're saying this and and I don't think we've had this conversation before, but it reminds me a lot of how things are in the music business where everybody wants to get that better quality instrument as they're learning to play. And it doesn't make you a better player to have that better quality instrument. A crap player with a great guitar is still a crap player. And a great player with a mediocre guitar is a great player and it sounds better. So It's what you're doing that matters much more than the tools you're using to do it. Yeah, it's your techniques. Those things help once you have the techniques. You know, if you have those techniques, you can really make more of them with better quality tools, but they don't replace. No, and so many people think of it as a replacement. What I think is interesting is how much people have been bored by Zoom. And, you know, there's this Zoom oh, I hate Zoom and I don't want to be on Zoom and blah, 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 blah. Well, Zoom is can be god-awful because people speaking, they don't do anything to make it, like, they're still not great speakers. And on Zoom, because you don't have that interpersonal uh, interaction or anything and you don't have people in the room, there's no energy in the room and it's just you, the person who is terrible as a speaker is worse on Zoom. And people blame Zoom. Well, it's also funny because people say, oh, I get so tired of Zoom meetings. Well, the reason for that, I think, is because everybody immediately turns on the damn camera. Nobody had an issue with phone calls before the pandemic. Everybody did everything on a phone. I would have 50 phone calls in a week. Now I have maybe two calls and I don't answer them because they're salespeople. Yeah. 
but nobody wants to have a phone call anymore. It's always on Zoom and you always got to have the camera on. Well, when the camera's on, you got to sit up straight. Mm -hmm. You got to be dressed a particular way. You got to be thinking about your words. It's way more tiring. Turn off the camera and just have a conversation like you did on the phone. So I don't hear people saying, like within our company, I don't hear people saying, oh, I'm sick of Slack. We have Slack calls all the time and it's all voice calls and people are comfortable and they're just having a casual conversation. Put it on Zoom and you turn on the camera and everybody's got to try and, I don't know, perform. Yeah, it's exhausting. And if you're actually doing like a webinar or a presentation, yes, you're the presenter. You need to step it up. You need to deliver a fantastic presentation because you don't have the vibe of the room. You don't have all of those other crutches. You have to do all the work yourself. And most people are terrible presenters and they don't do the work. So they blame it on Zoom. Yeah. So everybody says, oh, I'm tired of Zoom. Yeah. Well, no, you're just tired of bad presentations. (laughs) That are not enhanced by Zoom. And actually, Zoom does make it a little bit more challenging because you don't have the energy of the room. But I think a lot of people don't consider the difference between presenting on Zoom and presenting in a room. Mm -hmm. It's very different. And and it's that whole thing with radio. Like I I have the same thing with radio where, you know, you're and you're on and and I'm definitely not on camera for radio, but you're on and you have to be energetic when you start talking like this and you don't really, you know, you start, you know, I could just talk like this and not have any energy in my voice. And, and, you know, that's kind of normal. Like a lot of the time guy after a game. And a lot of the time we talk to each other like that, Yeah, but we're not going to talk to each other like that in front of a mic. If I get in front of a mic and, you know, I consider the phone, my mic when I'm on radio, like I'm on, Mm -hmm. that's a totally different way of talking. And even when I'm talking to customers, I'm often, you know, having that sort of, I'm, I'm more upbeat than I normally would be. And I think everybody is when you're when you see people at a social situation, you're more upbeat. But for some reason, when you're talking on Zoom, people don't seem to think that you need to have a little bit more energy than you normally do. Yeah. And that energy comes over sitting up straight, you know, putting your shoulders back, taking a deep breath, doing all of that stuff. Projecting. Yes. Articulating your consonants. Yes. Yeah, I'm getting tired now thinking about it. <laughs> You're not sitting up straight. I can see you. So I think we should probably consider wrapping this up then. Okay, but for next time, I think we should talk about training and technology. Absolutely. Okay. We're not going to remember that. Probably not. Maybe somebody will send us a message and say, don't forget. Yes, we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good day. Thank you.